Billy Graham used to say this. I'm sure you've heard him say it. If you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. You'd spoil it. And somebody else has uh, said it this way, why look for a perfect church? You would feel out of place attending it. And I think we all know that's true. Uh, I like uh, what one person said, just very matter-of-factly, the search for the perfect church is an illusion. And we all know that's true. And you only have to look at the New Testament to see this. If we think that we have problems, imagine what it must have been like to join Jews and Gentiles in one church. Uh, Listen to some of these facts. The Pharisees would not eat bread touched by a Gentile. The dust on the road stirred up by a Gentile could defile a Jew. Righteous Jews refused to enter the homes of Gentiles. They were unclean. They took an oath never to help a Gentile, not even by giving directions or helping during childbirth. And it was said God created the Gentiles to be fuel for the fires of hell. And I think you all know this, when a Jew married a Gentile, the family would gather and carry out his or her funeral. Uh, Do you think with those kinds of attitudes, it would be a hard thing to have Jews and Gentiles together in one church? Of course it would. And we have to ask the question, what made the difference? And what makes the difference in our churches today? Well, God has performed a miracle by which he has created a new humanity. You see, the church is not a natural group of people. We are a supernatural group. Amen? This morning, we are a supernatural group of people. And we've been seeing that as we've been looking at this passage on the church in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And now this morning, I want to come back there and bring the final message from this text, a message that I've been entitling, The Church is God's New Humanity. And remember, we have one question that we have been seeking to answer through this passage. Why is the church God's new humanity? And the Apostle Paul has been giving us three answers. The first one is because everyone can belong. The second one is because we have received two reconciliations with God, but also with each other. And now today, we come to the third answer. We are a new humanity because we all have equal privileges with God. If you are a Christian here this morning and a member of God's church, you together with the entire body of Christ has equal privileges with God. I want you to follow along as I read now the final verses of this section, verses 19 down to 22, and let's look together at what we have as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what the Bible says. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, would you notice here the incredible privileges that we have as members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's look at them together this morning, all right? Number one, we are equally kingdom citizens. We are equally kingdom citizens. Verse 19 says, none of us are strangers or aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. Now that word citizens there is a very interesting word. It comes from the Greek word politeia. We get our word politics and police from this word. It comes from the root word polis, which means city. So the politeia are the citizens of a city. And the police are those who protect the citizens who live in a particular city. But what is interesting here is this use of politeia has a little prefix on it. And that prefix means that the word means a fellow citizen. And this is the only time this particular form of the word occurs. Now it means then this, a co-equal citizen with all the rights and privileges of other citizens. Now, brothers and sisters, this is an astounding thing. You remember what was said about the Gentiles back in verse 12. They were alienated from the politeia of Israel, and they were strangers. Remember what the Old Testament would often call the Gentiles? Strangers, aliens, foreigners. They were never called politeia citizens. But what does verse 13 say? Now in Christ Jesus, Jews and Gentiles come to God the same way, and because we do, we are equally kingdom citizens. Now that leads me this morning to give us a little definition of the church that comes out of these verses. Here's what a church is. Mark this down in your minds. A church is a group of believers equal in Christ and equal citizens in their relationship with God. Let me say that again. A church is a group of believers who are equal in Christ and equal citizens in their relationship with God. Chuck Swindoll, or Chuck Colson, excuse me, gave a wonderful definition of the church that is very close to this. Listen to what he says. Biblically, the church is an organism, not an organization. We are a movement, not a monument. It is not a part of the community. It is a whole new community. Brothers and sisters, we are not a part of the community. As the church, we are a whole new community. And do you know this was unheard of in the Old Testament? Now this is where I disagree with one of my favorite pastors, John Calvin. In fact, you may want to mark this down on the calendar. Pastor Brian disagrees with the great John Calvin. Mark this down so you remember it, all right? Because if you read his writings, he talks about the church in the Old Testament. And so he says, Israel is the church, and he says, New Testament believers are the church. But that's incorrect. That is inaccurate. 
The church could not exist until Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, ended the ceremonies, and began a new way. Saved Gentiles in the Old Testament had to become Jews. What that means is they were always second class. They were always inferior. But now what does the Bible say? There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. All of us come the same way. And so we all are equally citizens of God's kingdom. And all God's people said this morning, amen, amen. Now, do you know this is the basis for treating each other properly? One of the things that we will discover is we mistreat people for a very simple reason. We think that they are inferior or beneath us. And if you watch and see uh, when folks in a church mistreat one another, almost invariably it's because they think they're superior. They think they are above others. I'll never forget one day in sixth grade band, I was learning to play my cornet, and I was just a brand new beginner. Uh, the band instructor was talking to the band, and uh, in my naivete and in my uh, uh, simplicity as learning a new instrument, I made the biggest, loudest blat you could ever imagine. And oh, did he get angry. He said, you, out of here now. And I thought, I'm just a beginner. I just made a mistake. It wasn't on purpose. But I got up and in humiliation walked out in front of the whole band. You see, he was the teacher. I was the student. He was above me. And in that instance, he acted like it. But when we know we are equal before God, you know what? There's no room for pride, no room for abuse. No room for dismissing. We are equal citizens in God's kingdom. Now I want you to notice as Paul develops this, he says there is a second equal privilege we have, all right? Notice it. We are equally family members. We are equally family members. Look at verse 19. He says, we are members of the household of God. Now, you know what? This makes us even closer and more intimate. We all feel solidarity with other citizens in our country. This morning, we all feel, I'm an American, and I have that solidarity. But we always feel closer to our own family members. I've just been with uh, both of my sisters, and I've mentioned to you before that my older sister calls me Bri, and so I've been getting used to her calling me Bri. She's the only one on the face of the earth who calls me Bri. I can't even remember when it began, but it's a pet name, isn't it? It's a pet name from an older sister to her little brother. Can't you all this morning just say, aww? Can't you say that? That's endearing, isn't it? She loves me as her younger brother. Bry is a term of endearment. 
Well, now look at verse 18 and notice what it says. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. And because that is true, we all know that we are family, and it is another basis for love and for unity within the church. So we are equally kingdom citizens, we are equally family members. Notice the third equal privilege we have, we are equally God's temple. Equally God's temple, verses 20 to 22. Now, you know, this would have been very surprising to the Jews who lived in Ephesus and the Gentiles who lived there. The focus of Jewish worship was always the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, Jews outside the land, when they prayed, they would pray towards the temple. And the focus of Ephesian worship was the temple of Diana in Ephesus, it was one of the seven great wonders of the world. Now, I want you to think about this with me. It was entirely appropriate that the Gentile Ephesians and the Jews who lived in that city would have their own temple as a center of worship. Why? Because each group individually was one race, one nation, one land, one language, one culture. And so, of course they would both have their own temples. May I ask you a question this morning? Where would you put a Christian temple? Where would you put a Christian temple? The church is worldwide. Every race, every nation, every tongue. So where would you put a Christian temple? I'd choose the UP. <laughs> After all, in seven days, God created the heavens and the earth. On the eighth day, he decided he could do better, and he created the UP, right? All God's UPR said, Amen. Amen. But let me ask you this. How would this work for Christians in Australia? I think that'd be a little, a little difficult. Besides, does God really dwell in temples made by human hands? The Bible says, of course He doesn't. Where does He dwell? Well, with the outpouring of His Spirit, God dwells in His people, and wherever His people gather, look at verse 22. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God has chosen to take up residence in His worldwide church so all of us can access Him wherever we may live. By the way, did you notice here Paul says God has given us everything that we need so we can function as the church no matter where we might live. Notice the things that we have so that we can be the church in any place wherever we are in the world. Did you notice this? We have a foundation. The apostles and prophets, verse 20. Now this is probably a reference to the New Testament apostles and their associates, the prophets. And both were recipients of God's revelation that is now put in the New Testament so that our Bibles are absolutely complete. 
And these men, after their ministry was over, passed off the scene, but their writings remain. So think about this. All the instruction we need to function as a church is found right here. What an incredible foundation. When we were down in Guatemala, different culture, different people, speaking through a translator, three languages, in five different churches, you know what we found? The people of God ate up the Word of God just like they do in Marquette, Michigan. This is an adequate foundation for every church because it gives to the people of God what they hunger for, the truth of God. We have a foundation. And then notice we have a cornerstone, Christ Jesus himself. You know, in the ancient world, cornerstones were massive. And they were the most important structures in an ancient foundation. They gave the building symmetry, cohesion, stability. Cornerstones, by the way, of the Jerusalem temple destroyed almost 2,000 years ago are still in place. I looked at one on the internet this week. Listen to the massive size of this cornerstone. It is 39 feet long, 7 feet wide, three and a half feet tall, and are you ready? It weighs 80 tons. 80 tons. And you know there's only one wall still standing on the temple grounds. It is the western wall, the wailing wall, and for almost 2,000 years, the cornerstones under that wall have enabled it to stand. Now what is this saying? Well, Christ is our stability. He's our unity. He's our cohesion within the church. And listen very carefully. The more we are like Him, the stronger our church will be. In fact, let me go so far and say this. It is not surprising that those who know Jesus the best and love Him the most are the greatest blessing in the church. I'm sure you have found that to be true. Those who know Jesus the best and love Him the most are always the greatest blessing within the church because the more that we are attached to the cornerstone, the more the stones around us can be strong and stable. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Hear me very carefully. If you want to help your church, be like Jesus. The best thing any Christian can ever do to help their church is to be like Jesus. Because when you are firmly attached to the cornerstone, then you enable all the stones around you to be strong and stable. Well, now notice something else we have. We have growth in the whole structure. Look at verse 21. In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
This building that God calls the church is growing. It is still under construction until the day that God decides to finish it and take us all home. And I want you to notice that there are two types of growth that he mentions here. There's physical growth as new believers are being joined together. The church grows physically, numerically, as new believers are being joined together. Uh, this past week, I, I did something that I, I've never done before. I asked each one of the staff members, when were you saved and added to the church? And I learned some fascinating things. Uh, Chris was saved at 15 years old. Pastor Hank was 23. And was 21. Ellen was eight. Julie was four. She said, I had a real conversion in a Church Awana program. And Becky was seven. Some of you are like me. I can't remember the exact age that I was saved and added to the church, but I know it was around my teenage years, and I know that by 18 years of age, I had assurance of my own personal salvation. Now think about this. The staff were all different ages, saved in different circumstances, but we all came the same way, didn't we? Jesus drew us, Jesus saved us, and Jesus added us to his church. And each member of the staff has been actively involved in a local church since that time to the great blessing of God's people. You see, this is God's plan. But then I want you to notice this growth is also spiritual growth because he says we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord, verse 21. God's purpose in all of this is to make us like himself, to make us holy. That was God's plan for the Jerusalem temple in the Old Testament that he would glorify himself through that worship and thus all the nations of the world would know his character and his nature. And it is exactly the same today. The more we let God's church enrich our lives, the more we become like him. We grow. We enter into his likeness. We become holy as he is holy. And the result of that is God's glory is lifted up and people see his wonderful character in nature. It's the whole reason why God has created the church. Many years ago, uh, the president of the seminary that I attended, Dr. John Walvard, was on a panel, and he was asked, where's the Holy Spirit the most active in the world today? Isn't that an interesting question? How would you answer that question? Where is the Holy Spirit most active in the world today? 
Well, fortunately, with most questions like that, the Bible gives the answer. Look at the answer in verse 22. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All that is said here about the church is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18? He said, I will build my church. That's what Jesus said. Now look at verse 22 again. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is clearly echoing the Lord Jesus here who said, I will build my church. By the way, how many of you noticed in verse 22, all three members of the Trinity? How many saw that? In Him, that's Christ. We are a dwelling place for God, that's the Father. And all of this is accomplished by the Spirit. Would you agree with me? Anything that includes the entire Trinity must be where God is most active in the world today. Would you agree with that? Anything that includes the entire Trinity must be the place where God is the most active in the world today. What a great and marvelous privilege we have. We are equally kingdom citizens, equally family members, equally God's temple. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the most active in the world today through the church and in the church. And I look at that and I say, let's be the church, right? Let's be the church. Bow together with me, would you? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads for just a moment. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, what a grand privilege you have. God has drawn you, He has saved you, He has added you, and He is working through you to accomplish His great and eternal plan. And you may feel very ordinary, at times you may feel very insignificant, but someday when God sends His Son for us and we are His exhibit A of God's great plan through the church, we will see the wonder and glory and amazement of it all. And we'll be so thankful as we bow in the presence of our Savior. 
Would you take a moment to thank him this morning? And if you're here today and you're not sure that you know Christ as Lord and Savior and belong to his body, the church that he loves, we're here to help you. We'd love to answer any questions that you might have and help you know Jesus in a personal way. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for sending Christ for us. Thank you that he is a wonderful cornerstone and your word is an inerrant guide for us. Thank you that through our ministry, you are adding new believers to the church. And thank you that as we allow the church to enrich our lives, we are growing into a holy temple that glorifies God and helps all the peoples of the world to see his great nature and character. Father, it is an amazing and wonderful privilege. And teach us now the joy and the goodness and the glory that is ours because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we are a part of his great work. We thank you and we praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen.